And joining me now, we have our superintendent of the Mankato Public School District, Dr. Paul Peterson. Good morning, Karen. It's great to see you again. Yes, and with you, you have brought in Stacy Wells, who is the Director of Communications for the school district. Good morning, Stacy. Good morning, Karen. It's nice to meet you and be here today. Absolutely. It's great to have you both in the studio, and I know you came with something specific in mind. wanted to talk about what is being done in the district related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Yeah. Because I was going to say, first of all, things <laughs> have improved. We A lot of our time in the past has been spent talking about COVID. <laughs> and that is finally, things are finally getting better. We are feeling so much better today in the first few days of March here than we were. I mean, I remember two months ago, Karen, when I was here talking about this Omicron variant and how it was really sweeping through our schools. Oh. Thankfully, we were able to keep them open. We were able to keep our, you know, all the school lights on. However, we had classrooms shut down for a couple days here and there. A lot of kids, but mostly for us, it, the, the staffing that was a house of cards that almost collapsed again. Right. Um, how our principals and our leaders who and, and our educators in schools who oftentimes don't teach classes, but we needed them to be in front of kids. Yeah. It was, was unbelievable. Yeah. Yep. So I, I'm glad. And here the first day back that we don't have to wear masks here at Minnesota State. <laughs> oh, so right. That, that has changed as well here at the university, mm-hmm. given the, the levels in the county. So, I mean, hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we knew it would eventually come and. Well, hopefully it's here for a while, right? <laughs> well, and I would bet, Karen, that on your campus will be similar to our schools. When we lifted the mask requirement at K-8, um, we have a lot of kids now, kids and staff, who aren't wearing masks. But we still do. I was just at Prairie Winds yesterday welcoming kids in, and there are there are significant numbers who are still wearing their masks. And, and yeah. we want to make sure that people know that is it's okay. Great. It's great. Yeah. Well, you know, I was just thinking during that whole two-year period, I really didn't get any colds or anything. <laughs> and I mean, so I think it had some other benefits. And then recently people haven't been wearing it and I did get a cold. So I'm like, oh, dang it. I'm going to, you know, make sure I wear that mask <laughs> anyway, right? <laughs> Why that, not? No, that's right. And so I think that we'll, uh, let's all cross our fingers and toes that we don't see, uh, you know, another, I mean, everyone says that, you know, variants will come and go. Right. But boy, like anything. That, but that Omicron one was really a, a punch in the stomach. That uh, was a tough one for us to get through, but we did it. Yeah. So cross our fingers, knock on wood, you know, all that stuff. There well, you go. <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's, so finally we can switch gears a little and talk <laughs> about some other things, which is finally nice. So let's talk about what is going on in the school district related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Very good. Well, and I'm going to, and the reason why Stacy's here is because Stacy is, is our chief communications officer and her role really is to make sure that we are messaging to internal publics with our kids and our staff members, but also to our parents, families, and community members about a wide range of things. And <laughs> Stacy was on the front, has been on the front lines with all of our COVID <laughs> communications. Sure. But we're also doing more and more now to make making sure that we are um, being open and honest with our community about the diversity, equity, inclusion commitments that we have in, in the district. And so um, we thought this would, you know, again, radio is a great forum for us to be able to explain some of those things uh, to our greater public. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to doing that because our commitment to kids and families isn't uh, one size fits all. It really is about um, serving each one um, based on their ability um, and and doing everything we can to help make them be successful. All right, Stacy, go ahead and you have the floor. Sure. Or the mic, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think talking about COVID is a, a great way to start this topic because what we realized, um, not only in Mankato and not just in Minnesota, but everywhere is that 
those disparities that we have in education were only um, heightened and revealed even more with COVID and uh, what um, families were able to access or what they weren't able to, how students fared, you know, in distance learning. Um, all of those things really came to light, uh, as they did in many other areas during COVID. So um, just sort of using lessons from that um, in terms of education to make sure that we don't just, you know, let those things go by us, but we actually think about, okay, are there some things that we need to do differently? What what sort of lessons did you learn from that? I think, you know, part of it is some students, the online format actually worked really well for them, right? Now, my and kids so were, was no, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and for were, some, yeah. some absolutely not. Yeah. And so... Uh, are there some elements of that that we can continue to do with our students um, so that they have a few more options or use it as a way to uh, fortify their learning, um, things like that? Um, the other thing I think that's really important is the connection with our families. So um, how do we stay connected with them? How do we reach out to them? How do we, you know, a good part of communications not only is kind of pushing information out, but getting information back from our community, our students, our staff. And so how do we do that in a way that is uh, really useful? And then what do we do with that information? So uh, those are some of the th lessons that I think we learned. You, you talk about the inequity and, and uh, that sort of thing, inclusion. And one issue that I know with the online stuff was some people don't have a real good mm. access to the internet. There isn't that good connectivity. Even in our house, we had with everybody on their devices, mm -hmm. the going out and the frustrations that that included. Has that improved or has this led to anything maybe helping some students, uh, some homes maybe getting better connected? Do you know? I know we did have some modems available for families that may have needed them. Um, again, this is an issue that was being tackled across the state because particularly in more outstate areas, they right. just didn't have dependable um, service that yeah. was available. So uh, that is something that is really in many ways bigger than one school district. But sure. certainly if a family let us know that they were having those sorts of connectivity issues that were ongoing, um, then we tried to meet those needs the best and, we could. Yeah. And and Karen, I think that, that idea of like digital access is a perfect example of why equity work is so important. Because not every family, not every student has the same need. However, um, so when it comes to uh, internet access, we have large numbers. I think the, when we polled pre-COVID, we were 90% plus of families and kids who either who had a device and who had internet access. And so when you take when you think of that number, you think, wow, 90%. That's that's pretty darn good. Well, isn't that because the school provided those um, devices? Though? For yep, for six through 12. Oh, okay. But but K five um, was included in that, and we don't have a one to one um, sure. okay. program on that. But what equity work is about is to say, okay, 90% isn't, that's not 100. That still leaves 10%. So what do, not not what does everybody need? Because we know that 90% have it. But what do those 10% need to have the same experiences? Um, so that's that, that's a good example. And and since that time, we've, uh, we're entering into a partnership with a local uh, nonprofit to increase digital access, digital equity. Um, that's going to help bring down the cost of internet services uh, for uh, qualifying kids and families. And I think that's those are the, the sorts of examples that um, when we talk equity, we're, we're really trying to make sure that we're removing as many barriers as humanly possible for kids to be successful in our system. 
So how does that happen? You said you're working with with someone. Is it a provider, or is that is that a secret you can't talk about? It's, no, it's not a secret. <laughs> We're working with PCs for people. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Who, Andy who, Ellison, a good yeah. good friend of ours. Yep, you I used bet. to be in a band with him, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> of yep. course you did. Yes, of course. But yes. yeah, so PCs for people. That's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. And I know he is always looking for people who have old computers parts of computers because they use them they put them together he he uses some of his students who maybe don't have the um maybe they need some jobs or things and he he's worked with kids i know to help them gain some skills in in terms of helping them helping others to get uh, uh, those pcs available and doing some wonderful things so let's talk about how that's working and right maybe somebody's listening and say well i've got an old computer maybe i could donate it because that's a good thing well and i do think that so much of andy's work and the pcs for people work with equipment has been has served so many people within our community for yeah. so many years andy approached us Got that it feels like it was you know a few months ago, but it was probably only a few weeks ago. Oh, and okay. PCs for people are now getting into um, how can they provide internet access? So it's one thing to have the device, but now how do you get people connected um, and also getting them connected in a financially doable way? And one uh, one piece that Andy and his group has been exploring is access to tall buildings in our communities. Well, schools are tall. And so they if are are tall. Some some of them are pretty tall. <laughs> and so wait, that's, which is your tall school? There's only I'm trying to think. Well, about. so the one that we're working up with. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to picture. Let's see. There's east. There's west. There's <laughs> Lincoln Community Center. Let's oh, start okay, there. Okay, let's start there. That's that's okay, like so four four stories. There you stores, go. Maybe. And so at Lincoln, <laughs> I'm picturing skyscrapers. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this yeah, is okay. Mankato. <laughs> right, right. Would you use what we've got? Okay. <laughs> so what PCs for people approach us about is putting up small little towers on oh. school buildings that will broadcast out internet access okay. um, up to a mile away. Nice. Again, for qualifying families yep. um, who meet certain eligibility requirements and to drastically drop down the price of internet access. And we said, we're all in. Let's, let's identify st strategically buildings in our sure. district that are nearby communities or um, neighborhoods that would qualify for that access, and uh, just today, uh, PCs for People is working with are working with the folks over at Lincoln Community Center oh, neat. Okay. Um, about getting that program going. So that's that's an example that we would call digital equity. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Again, that's not needed for for everyone, right? But uh, we have a lot of people who would would find a benefit in that sort of a service. Sure. Okay. Well, that's a great example. I hadn't mm -hmm. heard that one, but um, you know, and all those tall. School buildings. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're taller than my house. <laughs> right, 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 right. Because when I think tall, you know, we've got this 415 foot tower out here, and that's what, you know, when I oh, think. Oh, goodness. Of, yeah, I think tall. So, yeah. All right. So, that's one example. Any other examples you could share with us, Stacy? Uh, around equity? Yeah. Uh, so, there's lots of uh, ways that we think about what students need in terms of their uh, learning abilities or mm -hmm. their access to opportunities uh, as far as, you know, um, after school or doing uh, different clubs and things like that. Um, and so providing them um, uh, the ability to, you know, it's not enough to just offer them, but to think about how, again, how do we engage those kids in that? Um, if the what what's the barrier if it's a cost if it's transportation um, really looking at all of those things are part of uh, equity and realizing what the needs are 
So. How do you deal with, I know we've got one of our volunteers is also a, a, a teacher within the district, and he talks about a lot of times getting kids engaged is hard because sometimes the parents just don't care. Mm. And they are, there is that barrier where there are parents that, for whatever reason, maybe they've just got something else going on or they got other issues and stuff. And, and he said, you know, especially during the pandemic, he was reaching out. He was calling kids because they wouldn't show up, you know, and, and literally going to the door sometimes trying to get them to, you know, to engage in that sort of thing. How do you deal with that? I yeah. mean, that is such a hard thing. And, you know, I, I hate to see those kids call, fall through the cracks. And he was the same way because he works with a lot of special needs kids and mm-hmm. was just saying, you know, how, what else can I do? Yeah. Well, I, you know, honestly, first, I'd like to say that I, I think we often hear that, that the parents just don't care. And I, I really think that that is um, an unfair character characterization, um, just kind of off the top, because that's an assumption. Yeah. They may have different. That might um, be my words. Yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I hear it a lot. Um, I think that we expect parents to show up in the way that maybe we do or sure. what's typical and for families it it looks different right Um, I don't know too many families that don't care about their children and don't care about education but that might not mean showing up at every event or um, being available during the middle of the day or things like that right Um, and so one of the things we'd have to do is really think about what what is that family what are the challenges that they have and how um, how are they, they're not available, but what does that mean? And how do we work with them to do that? And so part of that is the communication, right? So if a family doesn't feel like they have someone at the, the school to connect with, right. to sort of talk about their needs, um, then no, we won't know necessarily why we aren't able to reach them. Um, but so that's one thing is making sure that they have someone that they feel like they can talk with and say, you know, everybody's working a uh, a 3 to 11 shift, right? Mm-hmm. Or work overnight or whatever the case may be, right? Or there's a lot of children in the family. So um, just understanding the things that they may need and how they need to engage with the school, it just could look very different. Um, but, you know, it's, it's our responsibility as educators to find different ways to meet the needs of those families. Again, you know, equity. So if we've been t- typically reaching families through um, an email or a phone call or, you know, we might need to switch to home visits, there's, we'd have to try a number of different things and really understand what the needs of that family are um, and how to work with them. Um, and then certainly whenever we have the students in the school, that's our time with them, right? We can't solve all the other issues necessarily, right. but when we have them in front of us in the school or <laughs> during COVID uh, sometimes online, we are about the business of educating them and caring about them as a whole child and trying to meet all of their needs, whether it's academic or SEL or all of those sorts of things. So. Sure. And, you know, I, I know my, my son has been in the special ed program because of his autism for a long time, and that connection has been s- huge. I mean, if mm-hmm. we didn't have that, I mean, he would be lost. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were able to get that connection early on. So I think that's important. I know an issue in the schools is, is, is staffing, though, because a lot of uh, teachers are burned out. Yep. A lot of paras, um, it, it's just not worth it for some of them to mm-hmm. have gone in the schools because of, you know, COVID. They don't want the risk and that sort of thing. How has that been? Because I know my kids will talk about having some pretty big classes and that's 
kind of hard sometimes to to learn in because they're distracting, et cetera. How are you able to deal with that? Right. Is that getting any better? Because I know, and you hear about you know the the strikes up you in bet. the Twin Cities. Obviously, that's a concern. Um, how are we doing down here? And in, in well, well, it's 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 a it's a challenge everywhere. And I and I'm glad that you brought up the strikes, Karen, or the strike up in Minneapolis right now. Because when you really listen to the teachers. And then when you listen to the administration, and, and I was just listening to another interview with Ed Graff, who's a superintendent up there, you can hear it in Ed's voice about the fact that the, the system is stretched beyond uh, its capabilities. They're, they're hemorrhaging students. And so the budget shortfalls are real. And, and at the center of all of that are the social, emotional, academic needs of kids. And not just to crank a kid through the school experience but you want it to be joyful and inspiring and you want to and and going through a a stressful time like a teacher strike for goodness sake that's not doing anything to inspire or promote or putting them further behind is what you know you think about it right and so thank goodness we're not in that position here you know in our region and in in mankato schools but but we need to be honest um, our teachers and our staff members have been doing Herculean work over the last two years, and the stress is real, yeah. the frustration is real, and I mean it's just a reality that going through this sort of crisis, there will be people who say, "I can't, I'm, I got to be done with this." I've had it, and um, all of the supports you put in place to help people get through, it still has to be that individual wanting to continue to to work through it. But um, but we're hopeful that. Again, as if, if we can get to a livability with COVID, we really are, are excited about the bounce back um, of having regular, consistent day-to-day. Um, our kids, hopefully, this year have had a pretty darn normal year, even, you know, there's been some minor disruptions. Um, and now with the mask restrictions being lifted, um, we're hoping that, you know, we can get three good months of school in before we hit the summer. And and then hopefully as a society, we can continue to rally and, and put this COVID thing to bed. But that's, um, we, we'll see. How, how many students has our district lost? Do you, do you know? Because, I mean, like oh, I said, sure. a lot of students have gone to maybe private schools right. or other options, right. homeschooling. So over two years now, we're up to around 400 students. That's um, a lot. That's a lot. You bet it is. And, and, like, and, and we know where they go. They go private. They go um, homeschool. W- homeschool a little bit online, but we've been offering online ourselves, and so we've been able to keep those students. And then there are some um, family situations that have just um, moved them out of the area, and so there's just been some 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 uh, of that as well. And that's that's important for us. I mean, student enrollment is the bread and butter of a school district. Right. That's your. I mean, you get so much money per student. Mm-hmm. So four hundred students is the equivalent of how many dollars? Well, uh, with uh, at twelve thousand dollars per student. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> a lot. That yeah. is a lot. Yep. So how are you making that up? What's happening? Well, so the last two years, we've done budget adjustments. Last year was a was a large one, over $7 million. Um, this year, we've seen a little bit, uh, again, a little bit of an enrollment dip. So really what we're now in the process of doing is just making sure that our staffing is aligned to our enrollment. Mm-hmm. Um, we are committed to reasonable class sizes, um, and we can have a healthy debate about what that means. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, <laughs> is, is healthy 20 or is healthy 29 or is healthy 14? Um, it depends on the class, too, I'm sure. <laughs> it <laughs> does, grade. for yeah. sure it does. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, K-5 needs to be smaller. Mm-hmm. It just has to be. In 6-8, we need to be careful in there so we're not uh, ki- kids aren't slipping through the cracks. And then in the high school, you've got so many different programs. But we got to level. We got to get those things in balance. 
So whatever our enrollments are, we're, we're able to turn some dials um, and make adjustments as we go. And But we fully intend to be out and about within our community talking about things like this. Mm-hmm. We know that diversity, equity, inclusion, Mankato, <laughs> I love the line that I heard, Mankato isn't in the process of changing its demographics. It's changed. It's changed. <laughs> it's changed. We're th- we are a community that has lots of different abilities. We have lots of different ethnicities. We have lots of different religions. We have lots of different um, ways that people are living their life. A public school system has to continue then to evolve itself to meet those needs, regardless of where people come from, what they look like, how how uh, how much how many services that they need, and that's at the root of equity work that uh, we think is a winner. We we think when we talk about that with community members and with families, people are going to want to be a part of that, and so we fully intend to get that enrollment back up uh, where it needs to be. Do you think now the school board is another area where some people are getting burnt out? You bet. And because, you know, they're they're kind of the front line and hearing all kinds of complaints. And a lot of that was based around mask wearing and mm-hmm. things like that. Do you think now that we're not wearing masks, you think that will help alleviate some of those issues? Do you think some of those have um, improved or, or where? what are your thoughts or what have you been hearing from folks outside that have been complaining to school board members and frankly if all you hear is complaints all the time on a board get tired of it you might want (laughs) to probably leave too but yeah yeah well our board has been great Um, when we had uh, one of our board members um, leave for some personal reasons Mm -hmm. we had probably 17 applicants for that open position so there's still a lot of interest and then when we will have three positions that'll be up for election so I think we'll see a lot of interest but uh, so our board has been really engaged in trying to work through this um, so I to answer your question though I think there there has not only been sort of this conversation and um, a lot of um, tough uh, pushback about masking and vaccines mm-hmm. but it's also been around this issue of critical race theory um, which many, um, unfortunately, have lumped everything into. So the equity work, the social-emotional learning work, all of that has been lip, uh, lumped into what, what's being um, called CRT. So I don't necessarily see that changing. And I think as we continue our equity work in the district, um, we have a lot of great people that are supporting us, and um, uh, much of the community is very interested in what we're doing, even if they don't quite know what it is just yet. Um, but there are some, a small group that is pushing back around that as well. And I think we'll continue to get that, um, particularly as we push forward with the work that we know is really important. So we expect that, but we'll just continue to try to um, educate the community as well as you know our staff and, and hopefully move and keep moving the work forward. Well, let's talk about that. What is that? So people are saying, hearing you say that word, mm-hmm. critical race theory. Well, what is she talking about? What does that mean? Because there probably are different opinions of what that means and what that sure. is. Yeah. Um, so I always remind people that there could be a lot of different opinions and a lot of different um, interpretations of it. But if you go back to s- sort of the the originator of critical race theory, who was a Derek Bell, who's a law professor, um, and it was a class only offered in law school, or a, a, not even a class, I'm sorry, a framework, a theory that was mm-hmm. offered in law school. And it was just a way to look at Um, the legal system in particular uh, to determine where and how race shows up and Mm -hmm. racism um, and what's the impact then 
on those things. So we may have some um, legislation that uh, on its face and it seems great and it should move things forward, but there are some things embedded in it that are just racist. And that's when we talk about like systemic racism. So that is not um, uh, typically what our K-12 students are studying. Now, we're definitely teaching them to be critical thinkers. Sure. We encourage conversations about race, um, about their own and others to be thinking about um, their whole social identity, right, which race is only a part of that. It's a part of their culture. Um, And we encourage them to learn about others and share about themselves and those sorts of things. That's really the conversations that we're having in school with our students. We are talking about, again, uh, the equity Um, How do we provide that and what does that look like for our diverse students um, and for all of our students um, and how to meet their needs, right? Those are the things that we're doing in K-12. Here at MSU, there's probably more um, professors talking about or maybe doing some work with the critical race theory framework. It's just not happening in K-12. But we are definitely doing things around equity and there may be conversations about race that happen in there. So what is the concern then? I don't. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of what we're. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, on, you I'm know, naive, I guess. if I can be honest, I think there's just um, uh, and again, so much about education, right, is not specific to Mankato area public schools, to Mankato or to even Minnesota. Although I will mention that Minnesota has a very large and persistent um, educational disparities. They have been there. We've been trying a lot of different ways to address them, and we haven't done a great job at it. In d- disparities in what way? Um, academic disparities. So what typically how we look at that is standardized test scores. Oh, right. Um, and we look at the, you know, where our white students are performing and then where our students of color, and they're broken down into different racial groups. Um, and we can, sen- we can, even when we sort of um, inch everybody up, there is a pretty persistent gap that remains. And so those are some of the things that we're addressing. So it's, and it's not just about that. That's a piece of it. That's, mm-hmm. you know, but a test score doesn't tell the whole story. But even when we ask families, um, you know, do they feel included or do they feel like they belong in their school buildings? You know, we often hear no. Um, sure. We hear about, there's been several instances across Minnesota where there have been racial epithets used by students yes. towards other students. So all of those things are part of the work that we need to do around um, uh, sort of educating um, students, families, staff, the greater community about why our changing or the, the diversity that we have is really a strength and how we need to learn to um, uh, understand one another. Um, not that anybody's going away and you know but there's a fear of that right and there's a fear of change and so we're since the beginning of time right (laughs) (laughs) and so the school district uh whether we want to or not we're a part of helping people understand that because how how does that happen in the schools then i you know i guess maybe i don't know how how is that being I guess, distributed in terms of communicating. Sure. So, I mean, there's a few things that happen. There's the learning that our staff needs to um, experience, right? Because they Mm -hmm. they need tools. Our staff is largely white. Right. Um, And so as our student diversity changes, we, our students come in with different needs. And even honestly, if we had students that were all white, there's still diversity there, right? Our staff is diverse, even though it's largely white, Not, not only by gender, age, needs, all of those things. So 
um, the learning that needs to happen for our leaders to help uh, the teachers support the students directly with the, the learning that the teachers need, and then opportunities for students to engage with one another. We call it windows and mirrors. So do they see themselves um, in the curriculum, in the stories, um, in those sorts of things, and can they learn about others in that way too, right? Um, those are all things that are important and they help to sort of remove the fear, um, I would say. Um, uh, and then it's providing some opportunities for families to, to come together um, to share about themselves and then to, to learn about others. So there's a number of different ways. It may look different in, in different schools and at different levels. Um, it's like affinity groups that we had a lot of um, uh, interesting <laughs> feedback on Facebook. And then we got some um, articles uh, in the free press as well as uh, some, um, a story on uh, KUIC but bringing together students that um, are from, in this case, it was the same um, race and ethnic group, to sort of come together, get some leadership skills, talk about it's their experiences. It's almost like a support group for each other. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I, yeah. I do recall this yep. what so you're talking about. <laughs> and then a lot of people said, well, wait a minute. Why are we letting them do their mm -hmm. own group? Right. But, you know, if you are... Um, if you're white and you've never been uh, someone who's been in a space where you're not, where you're one of only, right? Mm -hmm. Then you may not understand the need to have that support. You might not under, you may not feel that isolation that students or staff may feel, um, and that can be, uh, you know, it is a there's a, a, a harm socially and, and psychologically for people in that experience. Um, and so if we can provide that support for students, which will help them to be better learners, then those are that's something that we can do for them, as well as our staff. I wish it was like, why can't we all just get along, you know? <laughs> I mean, right. it seems like it should be so easy, mm -hmm. but it's not mm -hmm. for some reason. So It's challenging. So it, that's be work that you're obviously continuing to do, and mm -hmm. are we going to, I mean, it's obviously something that's continuing on in the district. Are we going to hear more, see more about it? Oh, I, I think so for sure, and I, and I think that it, equity work is not, as we've said, it's not linear, mm -hmm. um, and it's not one-size-fits-all through all of the elementary schools and middle schools and high schools. There are some things that we can be consistent on. Um, so whether it's in advisory groups or homeroom groups or um, culturally relevant teaching practices that teachers, uh, some of our teachers are very adept at and some need to learn a little bit more mm -hmm. about. Um, student organizations, um, a lot of it is based on what's in front of us and what's the student need. Mm -hmm. And that means that we have to do a whole lot of sensing of that and then responding as a system. And uh, so I think that this is... Um, infusing equity visioning and an equity mindset, um, whether it's formal instruction or whether it's just in those, those desired daily experiences of mm -hmm. kids in our system, we want to make sure that we uh, stay committed to. Yeah, right. Oh, and right. it's also not something that ever ends, right? So yeah. we, in, if we think about uh, equity and meeting the, the, the needs of the students, we're talking about culture in sort of the broadest sense, right? Our students are coming with all sorts of different identities, right? So from a student that may have special needs, how do we ensure that they have a full experience? And you know, in the past, they used to basically be set in another room exactly. off to the side and yes. kind of like, okay, we don't want you to integrate, and now it's integrated. Yeah. And, you know, there are challenges with that. Sure. And I know that from my own son. He's, <laughs> he's made some challenges in classes. But uh -huh. the thing is, it's been cool how to see the other kids have adjusted to that. Like, hey, he's different. We know that. Mm -hmm. But, and he's like, you know, I'm I'm a part of this now. So, yes. so I guess look at it from that because that has come a long way in terms of how special needs kids right. have been 
integrated over the years. So yes. yeah, or even you know gender, right? True. What we, how we look at um, and how we talk with uh, say girls about science and math versus you know English and uh, those sorts of things, and, and making sure that we're offering opportunities to all of our students, right? Or right. if we're thinking about um, uh, s- their gender identity, that's sort of something that schools are grappling with too right. in many ways. And those students um, have a, an identity that might need additional support in some ways. Um, there's all sorts of ways that our students show up and our staff too. And so how do we make sure that they feel like they can show up as authentic as possible and that their experiences are valued and, and they are visible as much as they want to be too. Absolutely. Anything, I, we're out of time unfortunately. Mm-hmm. This is a great discussion <laughs> with you too. We've been chatting with the superintendent of the Mankato Area Public Schools, Dr. Paul Peterson, as well as Stacy Wells, who is the communications director at the school district. Anything else before I let you go that you'd like to end the show on? You know, the only thing I would mention, Karen, is that our, our commitment to equity goes from the classroom to the boardroom. And mm-hmm. I can't say enough um, about the steady hand that our school board has continued to um, demonstrate, even with some some rough months, as we've mm-hmm. talked about yep. here, some weeks and months. Yep. And we're hoping that, uh, and we know that that will continue, but our board has stayed resolute in their commitment to each kid and each staff member and each family. And that's what really at the root of all of this. And so kudos to them. And even as boards transition, people come in off and on, um, we we should all be really proud of our elected leaders for the commitments that they that they have made. All right, yeah. thank you both. I appreciate you. your time and and thanks for coming in. And anytime you want to come back and continue the conversation, we welcome you. Great to see you. Thanks, yes, Karen. thank you both. Bye bye.